Please take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, our text this morning will begin with verse 36. As the people of God, as Christians, believers, we are in a somewhat unique position. On the one hand, we recognize the, the joy and in the heights of our calling as the people of God. It's, there's nothing like that. This is, a, this is a joy that is unexpressible. How do you begin to give expression to the benefits and to the blessings that are ours in Christ? To know that our sins are forgiven. To know that we have been reconciled with God when we were once alienated, separated, in fact, the enemies of God. And we speak of our union and our communion that we have with God through the person of Jesus Christ. So there is a such a height of joy that we experience in our Christian walk, to know that these things are true. The countless blessings that are bestowed upon us in the person, in the work of Jesus Christ. And yet, on the other hand, we also know the reality of being plunged into the depths of doubt and unbelief. Discouragement. Despair. We've been there too, haven't we? We've been on the, on the top end of things, enjoying the gifts that are ours in Christ, but we also we've, we've been on the other end of the spectrum, even as believers, with the, the struggles that we find ourselves in because of circumstances, because of trials and difficulties that we may encounter, sometimes uncertain of God Himself. You know, have I thrown all my eggs into one basket and that basket's no good. You know, can we really trust what we have been taught about God? When I was in high school, I had a brother two years older than me and had gone to college and into his, I can't remember if it was actually his first or his second year of college, he had gotten into some some bad Habits with some bad friends. I, you know, I, on the one hand, like I say, started running with the wrong crowd, but he was part of the crowd, so they were running with him too. And he, on one occasion, he got into some trouble, and I was, I was called upon to be of some assistance, and it gave an opportunity for me to speak with him. And I was either a junior or a senior in high school, and he was a either a freshman or sophomore in college, and there's a big difference. And I remember the words that he spoke to me was, you've got a lot to learn when you get out into the real world. Because <laughs> he was beginning to go through some of those things. Yeah, to me, it was pretty cut and dry. You know, you love the Lord, you follow the Lord. And, and he had gotten to college and been to taste that, boy, there's a, there's a whole other system of thought out there. To get to the place where you're uncertain of God, times to doubt to question our standing with God. Can it be if the things that we see in the Scriptures are true, can it be that I can be brought to a place of right standing with God? I mean, I can think of a lot of reasons that shouldn't be true. Why should it be that of 
the few that do come to the narrow gate? Why should it be that I am one of those? Sometimes in our Christian walk and experience questioning our fitness, our usefulness for the work of God. Anybody ever been there? God, can you do anything through me? If you haven't, I'll just let you all go and I'll preach the rest of the sermon to me. (laughs) We get there, don't we? Well, Jesus' disciples no doubt can identify as well. You know, they have tasted the heights, haven't they? They've been in the heights of the joy of walking with their Lord and their Savior, the one whom they have come and confessed as the Christ. The heights of fellowship with Jesus, walking with Him. But they've also been brought to the depths of despair and doubt and unbelief because of what's transpired. In our text here today, Jesus meets with the disciples, meets with them corporately. And this is the evening of the day of resurrection. You could think of a lot of things that could be said in that gathering, couldn't you? A lot of things that might be being said among the disciples as they've come together and they're trying to piece this thing together. And then the words that Jesus might say as He comes into this gathering. We have the opportunity, by the grace of God, to hear, don't we? To hear His words to His fallen, faltering disciples. And to take heart. Begin reading with me here in verse 36. And we're reading through verse 49. While they were telling these things, he himself, he himself stood in their midst and said to him, Peace be with you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still could not believe it, because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish. And he took it and ate it before them. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus' words here to his disciples at this gathering this evening they reveal a couple of things to us first of all they reveal to us the weakness and the need of Jesus followers from their perspective 
They're way beyond damage control. <laughs> this is... It's time to regroup. It's time to assess the damage here and, and just see what exactly are we about. What exactly are we to be doing now? They're startled, according to verse 27, I mean 37. Startled and frightened. And they see Jesus and they think they're seeing a spirit. Don't believe in bodies rising from the dead. Verse 38 terminology that they're troubled when they have their doubts and even in verse 41 when because of their joy it says that they still could not believe <laughs> they just couldn't put this thing together could they so we see so much here in the weakness and the need of Jesus followers Unless we come away from that with too harsh of a verdict against our disciples, let's just remember how quick we are to doubt God. How quickly when God doesn't follow our will for His life. I mean, don't we have a will for God's life? It's to do what we think He ought to do. And when He doesn't do it, we get upset. We begin to doubt. And so we can, in reality, I think, identify with these disciples. That they are... Weak and they have great need. But also, we see here in the words to his disciples, we see the gentleness of our Savior. The gentleness, the spirit with which he comes to those who are, are wavering and struggling, and, and who knows what all they are dealing with here. You know, from the disciples' perspective, it on the one hand, it's a time to to reevaluate, let's regroup and let's see what we've got left here from Jesus' perspective. It's time for His work to continue. He's not rattled. He's not been surprised. He's come to meet with them and He begins where He left off. He meets them with, with their needs and with that in mind as we look at this text here, just being mindful of the fact of how Jesus knows and He meets the needs of His disciples, of His followers here. And He deals with them in just a spirit of gentleness and grace and how we can take heart in the ways that God, then His Son, so kindly and so graciously deals with us. It makes you glad that you're family, doesn't it? That He is a Father and that you are a Son and the ways that He deals with us. And that's what I want us today to focus on as we look at this text. We see the kindness of Jesus. The way He comes and He deals with these disciples, and particularly we are considering the words that He speaks to them here. These are words that are important. These are the, the words that Jesus gives to His disciples the first time they're gathered. Now, there is some debate, incidentally, of once you get down to verse 44 and following, 44 through 49, of whether this was all, this section actually occur, occurred on this one evening as well? Or is Luke taking and compressing the teachings of Jesus in the 40 days between His resurrection and His ascension? And you know, Luke does take some liberties. We know that. And so there's some debate here where the 44 through 49 is just a an abbreviated condensing of Jesus' teaching in those days. Or... The other side is, this was, in, this was in fact spoken all on this evening. 
And I'm not going to answer that that debate because I've not got it resolved in my own mind yet. I think uh, Linsky makes a good case. And basing what's in John chapter 20, Linsky makes a very good case that all of this did take place on that first evening. And that you had a condensing of the teaching, but that teaching was was ex- extended and augmented throughout the days of Jesus, 40 days of ministry before His ascension. But again, it's certainly not a debate that changes what's before us here in this text as far as the teaching here. Well, first of all, we want us to see, want to see the words of comfort that Jesus gives. The words of comfort. Jesus' disciples, they've gathered here on this evening, this first day of the week, the day that they've heard of that morning that the women have gone to the tomb and the tomb was empty. Peter's gone there and John's gone there. Same thing. The body's not there. Then there have been some who have said they've, they've talked with Jesus. If you think back with these disciples, you consider the experience that the disciples have gone through just since Thursday evening of that previous week. Think of what's happened in your life since Thursday evening. And here we are Sunday morning, Resurrection Day. Since Thursday evening for them of that week, they've witnessed, first of all, Jesus' arrest. And for the most part, they have abandoned Him for fear. Jesus has been tried, and Jesus has been sentenced, He has been crucified, He has died, He has been buried, and now they have the reports that He's risen. That's a lot, isn't it? Process that over the last three days. From Thursday evening. And how they're, they're trying to work through all this stuff. They have proclaimed, this is the Messiah. And then trying to figure out all this stuff ties together. There's enough confusion that any effort to come into this group and offer any words of consolation and comfort would seem almost wasted. I mean, after all, what is it you're going to say? What are you going to say to this confused group that's going to bring any measure of comfort to them in this time? Well, the difference is is not it's not just mere men coming and offering words of consolation. Jesus comes. It's not Jesus sending the message. Jesus comes Himself. And He speaks. And what does He say? Verse, verse number 36. The first words that come out of His mouth there, Peace be to you. Peace be to you. You can always expect that Jesus has just the right words, doesn't He? Because let me tell you something, if I know these disciples, and I think I know enough about them based upon my own experience, the word peace is not the word that you would use to describe these disciples over the last few days. Anything but peace. We have not had peace. And there's little reason, even at this gathering here this evening, to think that there was a spirit of peace. There's been very little in their hearts and in their minds that could fall under the category of peace. And Jesus comes and He says, Peace be to you. One writer describes it as a common oriental greeting to speak peace. The Hebrew word shalom, peace. 
more than just that there's not war going on, but that there speaks of the whole person. If a human speaks these things, it's little more than a wish, isn't it? Just ordinary lips say peace. I say peace to you. I email so you. I just say well, grace and peace. It's it's kind of a wish, something of a benediction, but from ordinary lips, it's not much more than a wish in many cases, but it is infinitely more when it comes from the words of Jesus, isn't it? Minsky says this, as is the person, so is the word. In other words, you want to find out what this word means. Look to the person who is saying the word peace. It's rightly understood only when we consider the person. So peace from the mouth of Jesus is not a wish. It's not, I hope you have peace. I hope things are peaceful for you. It's not just a wish. It is, in fact, the offering of His gift to His people, isn't it? He gives the gift of peace. He brings peace with Him. He brings peace to the hearts of His disciples. Look back quickly to John chapter 14. Of course, Jesus here on the night... Of his arrest and betrayal. John chapter 14. Speaks to the disciples. Verse 27. He says. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Nor let it be fearful. And then in John chapter 16. Verse 33, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. So when Jesus comes here at this gathering of His followers, His disciples, and, and others with the company there, it was not just coming and wishful think that they might experience some measure of peace. It is Jesus Christ coming with the gift and with the assurance to them of peace. It is the assurance that He offers to them of being those that are accepted by those who have the right standing before God. What would be your experience? The one that you've hoped in has died. You've run, you've denied, you've hidden. You've come back together here with some of the uh, with the disciples here for this meeting, all there except for Thomas, evidently. And then Jesus shows up. I got a feeling a part of me who just want to just kind of tuck my tail and hide. And he doesn't come with words of judgment. He doesn't come with words of condemnation. 
He comes and He brings to them assurance. You are accepted by God. You are accepted. You have my peace. The peace that I bring to you. And it's not just the peace of, and the calmness of mind because everything is going well. It is the peace that only Christ can bring to His people. The peace of knowing that they belong to Him. That they are right with God. That's the peace that Jesus brings. So Jesus' followers, they have peace from and peace with Jesus. Not only do we have the comfort of His peace, but we also have here the comfort of His presence as He comes and He speaks to the verse 39. Let's back up to verse 38. It says, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? He knows what's going on, doesn't He? <laughs> They're troubled. They're doubting. This can't be. See my hands and my feet. It is I myself. See? See my hands? See the scars? See my feet? It is I myself. It really is me. All the questions that the disciples have have not been answered here. But a crucial one has. Is he alive? Yes. It is I. It is I myself. I am here. The frightened, the uncertain, and the doubting Jesus comes with His words and with His actions there in verse 39. Look and see. And then again in verse 41. They couldn't believe it because they're so amazed. And He said to them, you got anything to eat? <laughs> Folks, He's not just passing the time here. He's proving to them. They're not just a spirit. This is a, a body. A glorified body that takes food. I really am risen from the dead. What a comfort Jesus brings to His disciples here. And likewise, He brings to us, doesn't He? That we, as the people of God, that we rest assured of peace. That the words of Jesus here to the disciples are just as true for us today. Peace be to you. Peace be to you, children of God. My peace I give you. Resting assured that we have peace from God and we have peace with God because it is through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Therein lies our peace. And we're also rest confident of His presence with us, don't we? The words of Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's with us. He is with us. So we do not serve a, a Christ who has died and whose body has decayed. We serve a risen Christ and a, one who is alive today and one who is here in the presence of His people by His Spirit. Even now, He's with us. And what words of comfort that is to the people of God. We need to be reminded of that, don't we? Haven't you had that sense? Haven't you had those occasions, those, dying, those times where you, you just felt like you've been abandoned by God and the question arises, where is God? Where is He? He's with you. He's with us.
And Jesus would say to us, if He were here in flesh and blood, it is I Myself, I'm here with you. Words of comfort. Comfort of peace that He brings to us. Peace with God. Comfort of His presence. He is with us. Next we see also the words of confirmation. Again, dealing with the issues here, has their confidence that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ. Has that confidence been misplaced? Wrongly placed upon someone who never should have been. I mean, after all, Messiahs deliver. They don't die. The Messiah, as promised through the Scriptures, is a deliverer. He doesn't die. He doesn't come and take on His enemies and fall to them. And all the appearance of things is, humanly speaking, that Jesus came and He made a valiant stand, but He lost. Bad guys won. And Jesus, He comes and affirms and He confirms that they've rightly trusted in Him. Two things that He does. First of all, He confirms His own spoken words to them. Verse 44, Now He said to them, These are My words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. Listen, guys. This isn't new. This isn't out of the plan. This is what I said to you would take place. These are My words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. I said these things were going to happen, but where does He take them beyond that? He not only says it, that these things were going to happen, but the basis of this is in His written Word. What He spoke to them was grounded in what was written for them in the Old Testament Scriptures. As He says there in verse 44, I spoke to you while I was still with you that in all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, they must be fulfilled. In verse 45, he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and he said to them, Thus it's written. I'm not making this up as I go along, guys. Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. This is written. So anything that's happened here, first of all, there's nothing that's happened that's contradicted anything that Jesus said. Actually, it fulfills what He said must occur. And we've seen those texts, haven't we? All the way back in Luke chapter 9. And in the latest one there, the last occasion in Luke chapter 18. Let's just look at it again. It's still there. Luke chapter 18, verses 31 and following. He took the twelve aside and He said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem and all things which are written. Here He is. He's saying it again. This is what He said. But what did He say? This is what was written. 
All things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. What are they? Verse 34. He will be handed over to the Gentiles, be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. After they've scourged him, they will kill him. And the third day he will rise again. So, he's confirming what he has said And what he has said is, this is what the Scriptures say. So he confirms the written word as well. The Old Testament Scriptures, they teach these truths regarding Christ's suffering and Christ's resurrection. Verse 46. Yes, we can go, you know, one of the questions, the great question is, well, where does the Old Testament ever really speak of the resurrection? And to be honest with you, it's not their... Clearly, if you're on the other side of the resurrection. But if you're on this side, and we've talked about that, remember? We talked about that, that we understand that the God's order is, the prophecy is given, fulfillment, and then understanding. That's the order. Now, having looked back at what's taken place, you can look back in the Old Testament and see, yes, there are these Indications. Sometimes they're, we look at them. I wouldn't have seen it beforehand, but now I do see it. You can look in such places. Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, which is in fact the, the text that is used by Peter. He will not allow my, my soul to, to go to destruction. Who is that? David speaking? Well, it's got to be speaking to someone else. You can go and you can find the place where David was buried. At least you know he was buried. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, it's there. Last two verses. Touches on. There's a resurrection. That there is is life here after a death. So they have the memory of Jesus' own words regarding Himself fulfilling the Old Testament. And they have the testimony of the Old Testament Scriptures foretelling what has happened. All Jesus did was tell them, this is what will happen to me. This is what is written in the Old Testament Scriptures that will take place. And then the wonderful work of grace that we see in verse 45. He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Not merely looking and understanding the words, but contextually here, how the Scriptures pertain to and speak of Him. That they can begin to see, it is here. That what has transpired of Jesus, the Messiah, coming and living and dying and rising, it is there. How do we ever miss that? Opening their minds to understand it. Beginning to grasp the necessity. The necessity because the Scriptures had said Jesus would die and rise, but also to grasp the necessity because if men would be saved, someone had to pay for their sin. We see the work of God's Spirit to them and likewise to us. To direct us to and to open the understanding 
open our understanding of the Scriptures. The grace to believe the truthfulness of what is in God's Word. <clears throat> Call to find our confidence in God's spoken Word. What's Jesus doing here? What's He doing here? He is driving these men to the truth of the Word of God, granting them in the Scriptures. Folks, what the Scriptures say are true, and those things that you've not understood before, now you begin to see there's even much more truth there than you ever imagined. Get yourself in the Word of God. Ground yourself in the Word of God. Trust that the Word of God is true. You can believe it. And now they're seeing things in it they've never seen before. And in times of trial, in times of difficult circumstances, that the truthfulness of the Word of God is confirmed to us by the Spirit of God. So let our hearts be anchored in God's inerrant, all-sufficient Word. Let our hearts be anchored there. Go to the Word. Trust the Word. And Jesus, if great words of confirmation to confirm to them this is what the Scriptures said must take place, and it's taken place. And had it not taken place, then the Scripture shouldn't be trusted. But it did. Words of confirmation confirming to them the Scriptures as they had it. And likewise, the Scriptures for us today. And then, finally, we see here the words of commission. If there was any notion among anyone in this crowd that gathered here this night that God was through with them or... They can just kind of sit back and just enjoy contemplating on these things. It's quickly dispelled. Jesus gets sends that kind of thinking out quickly. Number one, he's not done with them. You're not going to get off the hook that easy, guys. And number two. You're not going to sit back and just enjoy thinking about these things. You've got a job to do. And Jesus sets them to a task. Three things. Notice, first of all, the personnel. Verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. Here's what qualifies you guys. You are eyewitnesses of what's, what's transpired. You're eyewitnesses of the events that have taken place. Eyewitnesses of the things that I've taught to you. Eyewitnesses of the fulfillment of the Scriptures. You are eyewitnesses. You are my agents. Speak of what you have seen. What is a witness? It's someone who gives an account of that which he's observed. You're my witnesses. Go out into the world. Speak of that which you know to be true, but also and only picks this this is personnel and knows also the proclamation. What's the message that they go with? The message is, as he says in verse forty seven, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name 
to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. There's the message. The message is one of repentance. The message is one of forgiveness in Jesus based upon His work. So as they go forth, and as the witnesses of what's taken place, they go forth, they are to, to explain what has happened. They are to interpret the meaning of Jesus' redemptive work, that how He could truly be a Messiah and come and die and fulfill the, the predictions of the Old Testament of one who's to be a great deliverer and redeemer of Israel. Because He redeems Israel, He redeems the true Israel, His people, the church, through His blood from their sins. So they're to go forth explaining that. Give interpretation to these events that have taken place. To explain the importance of Jesus' coming, His incarnation. To explain the importance of His sinless night life so that His righteousness might be applied to us to under, to. Explain the importance, the necessity of His death. And to explain the necessity of His resurrection. This is what you've been called to do. And this is where you start, Jerusalem. You start in the place that crucified Him. And you proclaim Him. You give explanation. You explain the gospel. And you call men and women to what is the the appropriate and the necessary response to the message that you proclaim. And that is repent. Repent. Turn from your sins. There you see in the book of Acts, don't you? What's the message when they've heard what what Peter has proclaimed? What shall we do? Here's the answer. Repent. Repent. Proclaim that message. Then note here the power. I'm sending the promise of my Father. Verse 49. I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. You're to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. What's the power? It's the Spirit of God, isn't it? Pentecost. So ten days after Jesus' ascension, the Spirit of God falls upon the people of God, the disciples of God. And the work of Jesus continues. You see, it's still a divine task, isn't it? Of bringing men and women into the kingdom of God. It's something only God can do in a divine task Requires divine power. Requires that the Spirit of God be going forth and working in the hearts of men. Listen, Peter could have preached that he was purple in the face the day before Pentecost and nothing would happen. Might have gotten a few rocks thrown at him. But when the Spirit of God fell... And they preached with power. They preached by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thousands brought into the church. Now, lest any of us would have the notion 
that somehow or another either God is finished with us or that we're called in life to sit back and just enjoy all the glories of the Christian life. Guess what? You've got a job. We have a task. To be called by Christ as a follower of Christ is to be called to service. It's to be called, it's to be given the task of spreading the message. Qualification. Well, what was their qualification? You are witnesses. Well, hey, and not me, I wasn't there. Well, guess what? None of them are here. But what do we do? We proclaim the gospel message that has been passed down from one generation to the other. And listen, if it was true then, it's true now. We still have the authority of eyewitnesses. And we testify to that which is verified by eyewitnesses. We proclaim the gospel not as though we are first person eyewitnesses of these things. But because it is a verifiable fact. That the task, the ministry has been passed from one generation to another to another. And here today it lies with us. Our message is salvation, forgiveness of sin, deliverance from God's wrath through Jesus. Calling men to what is the only appropriate response, and that is to repent. Calling all men everywhere, in every place. Repent. Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from your sin. Own Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. And the power for that work is the same, isn't it? Spirit of God. Listen, the Spirit of God is not upon us today. We'll be doing whatever we're doing. We're purple in the face and nothing's going to happen. We need the Spirit of God. But He gives Him to us. Doesn't He? He longs to give Him to us, to those who ask. Lord, fill me with Your Spirit that I might that I might live, that I might operate in this world in which You've placed me by the power of the Spirit, not looking to my own abilities and not being distracted by my own inabilities, but to recognize the task that You've called me to, You enable me to, by Your Holy Spirit. So Jesus, He has a plan to be accomplished, a work to be finished. And so as He comes to these gathering here of these disciples, it's just time to pick up and let's go. The work goes on. Jesus does have a work that even is being accomplished today, doesn't He? He knows our weaknesses. You know, He came to this room with these disciples here. He didn't come to a room of, of world conquerors, did He? <laughs> Movers and shakers. He knew. He knew their weaknesses. And the amazing thing is that God purposes to accomplish His work through human agency. Human hands. Human mouths. 
That's the way God purposes to do it, folks. He uses people. Imperfect people. That's what He does. Receive His words. Rest assured that the comfort of His peace and of His presence Rest assured in the truthfulness of His Word, Old Testament, New Testament. And then receive His commission. We are called, but we are also equipped. Called and equipped by Him for His work. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You that You... You condescend so graciously to us. Not only human vessels, but weak vessels at that. We can think of better people to do what we've been called to do. But our equipping is your calling and your enabling. So give us grace, Father, to, to walk by that power, the power of the Holy Spirit. And take these truths today for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.